All right, may you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Many of you will remember I had started a series. We're going passage by passage through the Gospel of Luke. We have arrived at Luke chapter 3. If you'd like to get that in your right hand, just a couple of pages back in Luke chapter 1, we're actually going to get a little bit of background as well to remind ourselves of what we're talking about with John the Baptist. I'd like to preach to you this morning about preparing a way for the Lord. And that's what John the Baptist came to do, primary function of his ministry. And I don't know about you, I would love for the Lord to have a clear path to my heart, to my life. I want Him to have access to everything about me. In Luke chapter 3, we're going to be looking at it. You can see in verse number 4, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. Now this passage that we're reading about in Luke 3, when you go back to Luke 1 and verse number 15, this is about 30 years before Luke 3. All right, So 30 years prior, verse 15, For he shall be great. This is the angel speaking to John's uh, father, earthly father, Zacharias. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. So John, it's prophesied here, he's going to have a different kind of lifestyle. Sounds like he was bit of a Nazarite, and that he be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Bear that in mind. From the age of negative nine months <laughs> to the time we read in Luke chapter 3, he's been walking with God. In verse number 16, many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him. I like that. John will go before him. Who is him? The Lord their God. Isn't that a great verse to show that Jesus is God Almighty? John goes before the Lord their God in the spirit and power of Elias. That's the New Testament spelling for Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So get things right in the home and get things right in society. This is a revival, more or less. He says at the end, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now we understand that John was preparing a way for Jesus to physically come to the earth, to preach about the kingdom, teach people how to come and know God, and then obviously die, be buried, resurrected. John plowed a path for him, prepared the way. But even today, that same work is still going on. The Holy Spirit working through people, individuals, working in our lives, making a way for Jesus to become more real to you. Come to the end of this chapter, Luke chapter 1 and verse 80. Verse number 80, it says, And the child grew, that's speaking of John now, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. He was a confident child. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, listen, as a child. Walking with God, listening to the Spirit, 
is not something that happens only after you're 18 or after you're 30 or after you're married, even as a child. He was a confident child. Not a rebellious, not a, not a prideful child, but a confident child. Strong in spirit. He knew what God had called him to do. And it says, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. He was also a bit of an oddball. <laughs> Hanging out in the wilderness and the deserts, you know his description. He'd wear camel skins, you know. He didn't go with the fads and the fashion styles of his day. It wasn't a popularity contest. He didn't get a lot of likes on Facebook, you know. <laughs> he had long, scraggly beard and eating locust and wild honey, you know. He was a bit of an oddball. You know what he did for 30 years? He knew God wanted to use him, we just read it, to bring about revival in Israel, prepare a way for the Lord, set the stage, if you will, for the manifestation of the Messiah. John, for 30 years, just waited. I, I point that out because some of you, deep in your heart, you want to be used of God. And one key element to that is patience. It's not going to happen overnight. You can learn the Bible. You can be in the place you need to be. Stay where God has put you. Learn the little lessons. But one day then God will open the path and say, now's the time. And that's what John was waiting for. In the deserts, ignoring what society had to say about him, just waiting for God to say, now's your time. And that brings us to Luke chapter 3. And before we read verse 1, I'd like to pause for a moment. Let's pray about preparing a way for the Lord to come to us. Father, thank You so much for the privilege to stand here again. And I ask You as always that You would help me, give me grace, help me to say these things exactly the way You would have them said and the exact things You would have said. Please prepare the hearts. Use what is said so that our lives are better prepared for, for the Lord Jesus Christ to be a bigger part of it, to be the part of it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene. All of these things, if you go back in history books, you can verify that those men were in charge when John started this. And I like that Luke does this. This is what a good historian does. He gives you a point of reference so that you can verify what was being said. Now notice these are the big shots. These are the public figures. Everybody in this day and time, they all knew about these guys. Verse 2, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest. So in verse 1, you have the civil authorities. In verse 2, you have the religious authorities. There's all the big shots. Physical, spiritual, there they are. <laughs> Look what it says next. The Word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. The Word of God just bypassed all those big shots <laughs> and found the oddball in the desert. <laughs> There's that guy walking around in the desert just going, oh, one of these days I'm going to preach. Oh, one of these days I'm going to preach. <laughs> Honey dripping down his beard. You know, One of these days, one of these days. And it looks like, how could God use this guy? Now guys, be honest. If John the Baptist stepped into church this morning, got behind the pulpit with his camel skins and his long scraggly beard and his hair is not combed and kept and he's kind of rough, 
not kind of, very rough around the edges and honey dripping down the beard and a half a locust in his hand. He said, all right, I'm here to preach. <laughs> I don't know. The Word of God came to him. First thing that's important in preparing a way for the Lord to become the preeminent figure in your life. Whether that means coming into your heart today and saving your soul, or Him taking the preeminent place as your Lord and Master, you yielding to Him completely today to be used of Him. The first step is the Word of God coming to you. It says the Word of God came unto John. John had been waiting a while for this to happen. Thirty years. I wonder if John ever doubted if God would use him. Any of you ever doubt if God will ever use you? I wonder if John ever doubted it. Thirty years, long time. You know what I I like to, to learn from this? You don't need worldly qualifications to be used of God. You have this unaccredited nobody what university what bible school did john go to u of w university of the wilderness (laughs) wu wilderness university i mean he he went to the woo you don't have to be somebody in the eyes of the world to be used of god please keep that in mind i am not saying however a worldly education If you have an accredited degree or PhD, that doesn't disqualify you from being used of God. There are many educated people in the Bible mightily used of God. Moses, graduate from University of Egypt, you know, he was trained there. Paul had a very good education, raised at the feet of Gamaliel. Apollos in Acts chapter 18 says he was mighty in scriptures and eloquent. That was before he was even saved. So education doesn't disqualify you, nor is it a prerequisite that God uses you in a mighty way. Bear in mind, John, from the mouth of Jesus, John said, or Jesus said, John's the greatest of all that are born among women. Obviously excluding himself, John's the best there is. You don't have to be a worldly somebody to be used of God. What you do need to have is a willing ready, soft, obedient heart towards the Word of God. So that when the Word of God comes to you, whether that's verbally, right, God speaking to your heart individually, or whether it's through the Scripture, that you have the right attitude, that you take seriously enough what God is telling you. In verse number 3 it says, And He came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Finally, John has his marching orders. God has said, all right, John, time has come. My son's about ready to get introduced, so you need to get your ministry up and running. What do you want me to say? Go out there and preach, repent. And that was his message. You can see it in other Gospels. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, John, you'll see it later in the chapter. What do we do? People would repent. And and when the fruit of that was clear, John would baptize them in water because... Their sins had been forgiven. You don't get baptized in water to have your sins washed away. You you get baptized in water because they have been remissed or forgiven. But have you ever wondered this? Why baptism? Nowhere in the Old Testament do you read about it. Why did God tell John to baptize? Why not tell John, 
preach repentance, and when they repent, tell them to go to the temple and offer a sin, a sin offering. That's what Jews have been doing for about 1,500 years. Why not do it that way? Clearly, something different needed to take place. Something new had to happen. Because the old thing that they had been doing, that tradition, that rut that they had been stuck in, wasn't working. And God wanted to make clear to the people that what John is doing and what he's introducing is something new, something different. And if you are going to follow along with John's preaching, if you're serious about this turn, this repentance to God, then you're not going to be ashamed to come down publicly, get in the river, and show everybody, I'm done with that old life. God has done something in me and I'm changed and I'm walking out of here different. It says in verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now notice it says, as it is written. John is preaching according to something from the Old Testament. God used the Scripture to show John what to preach, how to preach, how to go about his ministry. Did you know God is going to use the Bible for you personally to show you what to say, when to say it, how to say it? It's there. When you read the Bible, please look for that. Open your Bible with that, that attitude that, God, I'm waiting. Here, I'm, I've been waiting for a while. Just show me what to do. It says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. Now, I, do be I believe metaphorically, right? If you've got some valleys in your life, God can fix those things. If there's some big mountains of obstacles, God can make them low and get you through. I, I believe that there's some you know, spiritual lessons you can learn. But I believe verse 5 is literal. I believe that when the Messiah comes, that the, there is going to be a mighty earthquake and valleys and mountains and the ways are going to be changed. The map is going to change. That hasn't happened yet, but it will one day. Verse 6, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. When John was reading through his Bible out there in the wilderness, he got to the book of Isaiah chapter 40, which can I ask you to turn to that? Turn to Isaiah 40 just quickly. He gets to Isaiah 40, he's reading through there and he goes, Look at this. God told me to wait in the wilderness this whole time. And he gets to Isaiah 40 and he's reading it. And he says, this is me. This is what I'm supposed to do. And it kind of jumps off the page at him. I bet his father, Zacharias, for years probably taught John. You know, the family devotion time right before you go to bed or something like that. I bet Zacharias told the story over and over of how the angel Gabriel came and said, John, God's going to use you one day. He's going to use you to prepare a way for the Lord. Moms and dads, please teach your kids the Bible. It'll make it so much easier later in life when God comes and knocks on the door of their heart and says, now I want to use you. I'm making a straight path into your heart, to your life. It'll help them so much. Isaiah chapter 40 you can see verse 3, 4, 5. You see there in verse 5, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. John probably got to this passage. Verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare. He got to there and went, Ooh, that's me. That's me. Alright God, that's what you've prepared me to do. But now, what do I say? 
I, I see it. And, and, and you're, you want me to manifest your glory. All flesh will see the salvation of God. I'm going to preach about salvation. Okay, but verse 6. The voice said, cry. Now this voice is not John the Baptist. This is the Lord. The, the voice of the Lord says to the voice that will be crying in the wilderness. God says to John, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? What do you want me to preach? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. John, don't lose confidence in my words. You've been waiting all this time. Now, John, just stand up and preach Tell these people what's in for them. Tell them that the Lord is coming. Tell them, behold the Lamb of God. Tell them how great this one is, that you're not worthy to unloose His shoes. Tell them about the salvation that's possible. And don't be ashamed. They, all flesh is grass. But what about the big name tag they have? What about the big positions? And there's Annas and Caiaphas and the... He says, John, don't worry about that. You stand up and preach what I said. When they came to John the Baptist and said, Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you that prophet? Are you you Elijah? What are you? Who are you? He says, You know what I am? I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm here simply to tell you what God said. Do not think that there's no power in that. Guys, when you take seriously the Word of God and pass that on to somebody else, the Word of God does not return void. This Word gave John boldness to stand before a king, Herod, and tell him, it's not lawful for thee to have her. He stood up to a king and said, you can't commit adultery like that. Why? Because the Word of God is power. All these worldly titles and possessions and riches, all of that's going to pass away. One thing's going to stand. What's going to stand? The Word of God. Do you see that? That means it's of the utmost importance what you do with it. I want the Lord to use me. I want Him to have a straight path into my life. I want to see Him clearly in my life. Then the Word of God needs to rise to the top. Because at the end of the day, it all depends on what you do with what God said. And without that, it's going to be, there's a crooked path. And it's going to take a lot longer for God to get a hold of you. If you would, come back to Luke chapter 3. You know, when they came and questioned John, what are you doing? Who authorized you to say this and do this? Why are you preaching repentance? Why are you preaching about a kingdom and a king who's coming? You know what John could do? He, He could stand right here and go, that's why. Because it stands like that in the Bible. Can you do that with your life? Somebody comes and says, why do you go to that church? Why do you treat your wife like that? Why are you behaving like this at work? Why do you treat people the way you do? I hope that you can stand there and say, because the Bible says. There's there's power in this Word to direct me and it, it changed my life and I hope it would change yours as well. John waited a while to get the direction he needed. But it finally came. There's another man I think of that kind of falls in line with this. You know, Abraham, God came to Abram back in Genesis 12 and he said, get thee out of thy country and away from thy kindred 
Go to a land that I shall tell thee of. You realize how much faith he needed to have for that? Leave kin and country. Start walking. Where am I going? I'll tell you as you go. Now you've got to have a lot of faith in what God says. All right, God, you, you told me to do it that way. I, I'm going to do it. And I trust that as I go, I don't understand what the next step will be, but I believe you'll show me. That's walking by faith. And that's walking in, faith, in the faith of the Word of God. Abraham had it. I hope that same faith is in you. Let's continue working our way here. Verse 7, Luke 3, verse 7. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. We're very glad you're here today. Please take a visitor's card and fill it out. <laughs> is that what he said? <laughs> That's not what he said. I'm not against greeting visitors. Hello, visitors, all of you. I'm glad you're here today. I'm, I'm not against that. But look what he says. This great multitude comes out and he says, Oh, generation of vipers, <laughs> you sons of snakes. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now bear in mind, there was a specific crowd there, Sadducees, Pharisees. Not everybody in the crowd had this bad attitude, but John was not afraid to address it. You know why? Because he had been authorized by the Word of God to say these things. So he says, hey guys, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He said it loudly, he said it publicly, he wasn't ashamed of it. Who has warned you to flee? I do not think that John said that to say, hey, I'm John the Baptist and I told you to flee so you better take me seriously. I don't think that's what John meant. You know what I think he's saying? John stands up and says, thus saith the Lord. The Messiah is coming and he's not all that happy. There needs to be some repentance and if there's not, there's going to be some wrath. Now who said that? Not John the Baptist it was God. So the second thing I believe you need to consider when preparing a way for the Lord to get more real to you, recognize the reality of the wrath of God. It may not be a very popular subject in churches. It may not be a very, you know, visitor-friendly thing to talk about. But it's a biblical thing. Take your Bible, if you would, hold Luke chapter 3. Let's get Ma Malachi. Right before Matthew. Look at Malachi, if you would, please. Chapter 3. John was not making this stuff up. He was not trying to scare people into his church. He was trying to give them a very real warning about how God felt. Matthew 3, or uh, Matthew, Malachi, sorry, Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. I bet when John got to that part of the Bible, he went, there I am again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now notice, watch the wording. Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare thy way before me. That's Jehovah. That, again, that shows John was setting the way, not just for Jesus the man, but Jesus God in the flesh. I'll send my messenger. He shall prepare thy way before me. And the Lord... Whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant. That's the testator. The messenger of the covenant. That's Jesus. He's the testator of the new covenant. Whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, watch it. But who may abide the day of his coming? 
So John's reading his Bible. He's been waiting. The Word of God has come to him. And now he's taking it seriously. God, what do I say? Cry. The voice says to him, cry. What should I cry? Take it seriously. The, the grass and the flowers, the fanciness, all the bells and whistles, all of that is temporary. One thing is eternal, and that's what God said. So take it serious. All right, God, what what'd you say then? What do you want me to say? The Lord's coming, but who may abide the day of His coming? Who shall stand when He appeareth? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He's going to clean things up when He shows up. Look at chapter 4, if you would, verse 1. Malachi 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall what? That shall what? Burn as an oven. And all the proud. This is why when he sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees which struggled with that problem of pride, when he sees them come to the baptism, he knows they're not coming with a soft heart ready to receive the Word. He knows there's some pride there. And he knows what Malachi said about it. All the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it leave them neither root nor Watch, listen to this, keep it in the back of your mind. Leave them neither root nor branch. He's going to take the whole tree down. Do you understand that? Root and branch. That's both ends of the tree. Verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness. You see the capital S? That's Jesus. That's another name for Jesus. Shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and He shall go forth and grow up or, I'm sorry, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So the ones that repent and follow this Messiah, they're going to be okay in the kingdom. But verse 3, And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord. Saith the Lord of hosts. Now, if you just let your eyes, I'm not going to read it with you. Verse 4 talks about Moses. Look at verse 5. I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You see verse 6? That's what we read in Luke 1 earlier. John got to this part in the Bible and he saw himself and he said, this is what I'm supposed to preach. We got to take this thing of the Messiah coming seriously. Yes, He came full of grace and truth. He came full of love. He came to die for sinners. There's mercy. All of that is there. But God is also righteous and just and there is going to be a punishment for the wicked. And we must warn people about this day of wrath. It's going to burn as an oven. And if you're on the wrong side, then when Jesus shows up, ashes under the soles of their feet. John didn't shy away because it wasn't, a popu- because it, it wasn't popular. The people come and some people needed to hear, hey, you need to remember it's not me telling you to ru- uh, run from the wrath. It's God who said it. Friend, with all the love in my heart, I want to warn you today. The Bible says, he that believeth not shall be damned. He that believeth not shall be damned. The Bible says that if you believe on the Son, you have everlasting life. But if you believe not, the wrath of God abides on Him. I take no pleasure in delivering that message. But if I can make you sorrow, feel sorrow just for a moment, to bring you to repentance, then I'll be quite happy that you were sorry for a moment. 
Luke chapter 3, verse number 8, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. John knew some of them are going to try to use the excuse, Well, I was raised a good Jew. And, you know, I'm one of the children of Abraham, and he has the covenant, so am I not a child of the covenant? Am I not part of it because I could declare and do it chudun? Doesn't it just, doesn't my Christianity get passed down from my grandfather to my father to me? Isn't that how it works? And John said, that's not how it works. For years, for decades, for centuries, the Bible says God winked at man's transgressions, but now commands every man everywhere to repent. Every single person on the planet has a decision to make as to what they do with righteousness. Your righteousness is not enough. Your good deeds are not enough. The way, the best effort you can put, not enough. The Bible tells us to repent. What is that? That change of mind to say, God, I'm done doing it my way. Let me come to you and do it your way. John says, we need fruit worthy of repentance. It's one thing to say, oh, okay, I get it, I get it, yes, yes, that's right. It's one thing to say it, but now let's see the fruit to back that up. Verse 9, watch this. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Do you see that? You remember that from Malachi? He'll destroy the root and the branch. Remember that? John's preaching the Bible, man. He's giving you Isaiah. He's giving you Malachi. That's the, that's the core of his message. He says, now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. If you destroy the root, listen, that tree is utterly destroyed. There's no coming back. You chop it off halfway, you trim some branches, that thing can sprout again. You knock the root out the ground, that tree's done. John's preaching to this generation of Jews, saying this evil and adulterous generation, if you guys don't get it right and get it right quick, the Lord has had mercy on you for a long time. He's going to aim the axe at the root and you're done. He says in the middle of verse 9, Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. It may not be popular to preach about the wrath of God, but it certainly is part of the Word of God and we can't ignore it. You say, I want to see the... I want the way of the Lord to be prepared. I, I want Him to live in my heart, control my life, that whole thing, then you need to take seriously God's nature. He's not only a loving, righteous God, but He hates iniquity. And He will punish the wicked. He will not acquit the wicked, He says. It doesn't matter which family you grew up in. It doesn't matter that your mom and dad were Christians. You, friend, you must be born again. Chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says, And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, What a great question. Every pastor's dream. <laughs> right after the sermon, he's preached hell fire, hasn't he? Verse 9, cast him into the fire. And, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't come asking any questions. But the vast portion of the multitude there did. They come up after the sermon and say, well, John, hey, we take it. We get it. You're preaching to us right out the Bible. There it stands. The wrath of God's a real thing. Jesus is coming and we recognize He's going to be angry. We want to be on the right side of this. What do we do? 
He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized. Publicans. Guys, these are tax collectors. The SARS men. They show up. Now these guys are known for being underhanded, corrupt, the worst of society. They hear John's preaching. They're touched by the Word of God, convicted by the Spirit. And they go, okay, John, we want to get baptized. We understand that we need to prove our repentance first. What do we do? He he says, uh, it's in verse 12, Master, what shall we do? He said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. Quit cheating people. That's just straightforward advice. There's nothing deep about that. Did you know getting right with God is not nearly as hard as you think it is? (laughs) It's usually much more clear than you would like to admit. We like to say, oh, but man, it would take so much for me to turn my life around. Look at this advice. What do we do? Just quit cheating people. That's pretty simple. Verse 13, he, uh, 14, forgive me. The soldiers likewise demanded of him. Now, I don't know if these are Roman soldiers. I'd like to think that these were Jewish soldiers. The, the Jews there at the temple, the Sanhedrin, they also had a band of soldiers, probably them. But either way, the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man. Neither accuse any falsely. They were abusing their authority. They knew they could make an accusation. It would stick because of their position. And therefore, they could kind of strong-arm people into getting what they wanted. And, (laughs) oh boy, hold on to your chair. And be content with your wages. (laughs) Stop complaining about how much money you make. (laughs) That's good preaching. (laughs) I don't even need to expand on that, right? That's pretty clear. I want to bring your attention to one word in verse 10. What shall we do? And then maybe circle or underline this. What shall we do then? What shall we do then? This means this crowd, they've already repented in their heart. That change of heart, that change of mind, they've already decided, John, we agree with what you've said. It's not enough that we're simply Jewish that we were born in this and that family, that's not enough. We need to get right. John, what do we do? That's the attitude. You say, I want to have a life that makes a straight path so that the Lord can get directly to me. 